Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Upcoming concerts by the CSO on Thursday, April 21st through Sunday, the 24th, feature guest conductor Jalp van Sweden leading a program of Mahler's Symphony No. 6. Here are program notes by Philip Pusher on the Mahler 6th Symphony, a work lasting about 80 minutes. The 6th was the last of Mahler's symphonies to reach the United States in December 1947, more than 41 years after the composer conducted its premiere. The Chicago Symphony did not get around to Mahler's Symphony No. 6 until 1968, after it had played all the others, including the unfinished 10th. Even considering the typical fate of Mahler's symphonies, launched with difficulty under the composer's baton, misunderstood and often rejected by audiences and critics, and ignored by major orchestras and leading conductors during the decades that followed, the neglect of the Sixth Symphony is exceptional. Mahler was the first to predict the reception of the symphony, the one his wife Alma said was his most personal work. Soon after finishing it, he wrote to Richard Specht, My sixth will present riddles to the solution of which only a generation will dare to apply itself, which has previously absorbed and digested my first five symphonies. Even during his own lifetime, the sixth seemed the least likely to catch on. After a handful of performances in 1906 and 1907, all under Mahler's direction, there apparently were no others before his death in 1911. Even in Amsterdam, arguably the earliest camp of Mahler enthusiasts, it was not performed. The deepest tragedy of Mahler's career was not that he was neglected, unknown, or penniless. He lived the life of a musical celebrity, having become one of the most successful conductors of his time. But that he went to his grave believing that he had failed in his real life's work. When he died in 1911, he did not expect that his Sixth Symphony would ever be played again, and he certainly did not know that people would ever appreciate his music. Arnold Schoenberg, whose own music still has not found a large and sympathetic audience, understood Mahler's profound sadness only too well. In a compassionate article about the composer, he wrote, how will they seek to answer for this? That Mahler had to say, it seems I have been in error. How will they seek to justify themselves when they are accused of having brought one of the greatest composers of all time to the point where he was deprived of the soul, the highest recompense found when the artist's faith in himself allows him to say, I have not been in error. Perhaps Mahler did not truly believe that he was in error. For one thing, important musicians and fellow composers, starting with Schoenberg, valued what his music had to say and seemed to understand its importance. Schoenberg, who would himself turn traditional harmony on its head, admired the boldness of harmony in Mahler's Symphony No. 6. He also wrote an insightful and admiring analysis of the gentle melodies of the Andante. Both Alban Berg and Anton Webern, the two students of Schoenberg who made history themselves, thought the Sixth Symphony the finest of all Mahler's works. Berg told Webern that Mahler's was the only sixth, despite the pastoral. Like nearly all Mahler's symphonies, the sixth began on a summer holiday. 
In June 1903, Mahler, his wife Alma, and their little girl Maria arrived at their summer villa on Mayernig on the Wörthersee, where for the third summer Mahler would find the peace that made it possible for him to compose. He spent his days deep in the woods in a small, sparsely furnished Waldhausen, a forest hut, remarkable only for the fact that such extraordinary, even visionary music was written in this plain, dark room. That summer, he wrote two movements of the Symphony No. 6. Alma later remembered how, after he had drafted the first movement, he came down from the wood to tell me that he had tried to express me in a theme. Whether I've succeeded, I don't know, but you'll have to put up with it. The next summer, after another turbulent season as head of the Vienna Opera, Mahler returned to Meiernick with Alma, Maria, and their new baby, Anna. It was the most productive summer of his life. He completed the Sixth Symphony, began a seventh, and wrote the last of the Kindertotenlieder, Songs on the Death of Children. Alma was particularly disturbed by the intrusion of these songs into their peaceful family holiday. I cannot understand bewailing the deaths of children who were well and happy barely an hour after hugging and kissing them. She saw unwanted dark clouds, too, in the symphony's scherzo. In the third movement, he represented the unrhythmical games of the two little children tottering in zigzags over the sand. Ominously, the childish voices became more and more tragic and at the end died out in a whimper. But there was nothing in this new symphony more ominous than the finale. In the last movement, Alma wrote, he described himself and his downfall, or, as he later said, his hero. It is the hero on whom falls three blows of fate, the last of which fells him as a tree is felled. These were his words. Alma was worried by this dark, tragic work. For a while, Mahler even called it his tragic symphony, and she feared that her husband, in writing this music, had altered forever the happiest time of their life together. Later, after fate had played its horrible role, Alma would write, No work had poured from his heart so directly as this one. We were both in tears. So deeply did we feel this music and the sinister premonitions it disclosed. The sixth is Mahler's most personal creation, and a prophetic one at that. In it, as in the Kintertoten leader, he truly anticipated his own personal life. In reviewing the sad events that followed the completion of this symphony, it's difficult not to admit a parallel with the three blows of fate Mahler had etched in music. In 1907, bad press, controversy, and rising anti-Semitism forced Mahler from his prestigious post as head of Vienna Opera. That summer, soon after the family retreated to Meiernig, Maria, the older daughter, fell ill with scarlet fever and died within weeks. Before Mahler could begin to recover from this shock, his serious heart condition was diagnosed. The final blow that would ultimately fell him as a tree is felled, to use his own words. Whether it was prophecy, tempting fate, or simply music, the Sixth Symphony is Mahler's only tragic work in the truest sense, the only one that fails to rise to victory, the only one in which the unnamed hero is 
utterly defeated at the end. No other work so unrelentingly asserts a single key. Three of the four movements are planted in A minor. And although Mahler is known for the way his symphonies end in keys never suggested by their openings, here he seems unable to escape the grim pull of A minor. And the final pages ends with the same low A with which the first movement opens. The work begins with military music, not the leaden funeral marches of the second or fifth symphonies, but a quick, driven march, soldiers' music remembered from his childhood. There is the recurring sound of drums. Mahler calls for a larger contingent of drums and percussion here than in any other symphony. The march ends with a sound that becomes the symphony's motto, a brilliant major triad that turns to minor while the drums pound the drill master's rhythm. After a quiet wind chorale, the impetuous Alma theme takes wing in the violins, a great soaring theme, as Alma described it, and each time it returns throughout the movement, it is slightly changed, as elusive and bewitching as Alma herself. Later, when the music calms, we hear from the distance the sound of cowbells. Knowing that, in 1906, conductors and percussion players surely did not expect cowbells in their symphonies, Mahler added a footnote to the score suggesting that the cowbells should be played with discretion so as to produce a realistic impression of a grazing herd of cattle coming from a distance, alternately singly or in groups, in sounds of high and low pitch. Special emphasis is laid on the fact that this technical remark admits of no programmatic interpretation. Later, however, Mahler did say that the cowbells are the last earthly sounds heard from the valley far below by the departing spirit on the mountaintop. Mahler originally planned to follow the great sonata form first movement with the scherzo, placing the calm on Dante before the vast finale. But at the time of the symphony's premiere in Essen in May 1906, he reversed the two inner movements, the first published score, however, kept the scherzo before the Andante, though with a note about Mahler's second thoughts. And it is this sequence that most conductors today, Jaap van Sweden included, prefer, despite Mahler's own apparent change of heart. Mahler may have contemplated delaying the scherzo because it's so closely related to the mood of the first movement. Certainly the opening with its driving A minor rhythm sounds as if it belongs to the previous music. Two gentle trios interrupt the scherzo, both rocked by the totterings of little Anna and Maria, one in F and one in D, the keys, not coincidentally, in which the exposition and development of the first movement had come to rest. There is a great prophetic orchestral scream, a premonition of the finale just before the end, and then the last zigzagging of the two children. The Andante, set in E-flat major, the most remote key from A minor in the tonal system, does indeed seem to come from another world, although it is still touched by the tragic tone of the previous movement. One could learn forever from following this exquisite music so delicate that a single note can disrupt the mood, 
casting sun or shadow so subtle that a seemingly commonplace phrase is made unforgettable by an unexpected harmony or an added beat like an extra breath. The cowbells sound from the valleys below, and the spirit of the Kintertoten leader hovers. The finale is in every sense one of the biggest movements in Mahler's output, building slowly and masterfully through three massive climaxes, each crowned by a hammer blow. The music is richly varied and even quotes passages from the earlier movements. Mahler calls for a great array of instruments, including, of course, the sledge hammer. A cartoon in the German press in 1906 showed Mahler in despair over his sixth symphony. My God, I've forgotten the motor horn. Now I shall have to write another symphony. The music is deadly serious. It begins with an echo of the scream from the end of the scherzo, an unsettling explosion that unleashes sounds exotic even by Mahler's own standards. From there, Mahler moves through music of sweeping complexity, his command of counterpoint is particularly impressive, toward the first of the hammer blows, a climax that lands in unexpected harmonic territory as the hammer falls marked with three Fs. Twice more, through vast and meticulously charted stretches, Mahler approaches exaltation, and again the hammer falls. At the end, nothing is left but a few threads of sound, and one last horrible lunge and the deathly sound of A minor. This music was not easy for Mahler to bear. Alma remembered that none of his works moved him so deeply at its first hearing as this. We came to the last rehearsal, the dress rehearsal, to the last movement with its three blows of fate. When it was over, Mahler walked up and down in the artist's room, sobbing, wringing his hands, unable to control himself. At some point after the first performances, Mahler decided to omit the third hammer blow, the one that fells the hero. At these performances, Jop van Sweden omits it as well. But Mahler could do nothing about the blows of fate that would soon befall him, and nothing could stop the heart condition that was already weakening him and shortly would kill him. Program notes by Philip Huscher on Gustav Mahler's Symphony No. 6. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.